This episode of FW Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Hey, Paul, what do you got? Well, Rob, I've got a book centered on uh, one of Neil's most important creations, Green Lantern John Stewart. It is a uh, celebration of 50 years hardcover. Uh, it is a regularly priced thirty nine ninety nine, and IST it's on sale right now. Say fifty five percent, getting it for seventeen ninety nine. It's got various stories in it, but it does include the very first story. Neil was very instrumental uh, when Julie Schwartz said he needed to uh, come up with a sort of substitute Green Lantern. It was Neil that pushed to to make him a black man, and you know John Stewart has been, had a, a, an amazing history since then. So uh, that's why I picked this one. Uh, I'm not going to list all the various Green Lantern and Justice League uh, titles, you know, stories in here, but it's got a it's got a great uh, pedigree. Sounds good, Chris. What about you? I have got Superman Kryptonite Nevermore hardcover, written by Denny O'Neill, with art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson on the interior. But it's got that classic Neil Adams cover mm-hmm. of <laughs> Superman the Kryptonite chains. Uh, so that's the storyline where Superman. Uh, the, the, all the kryptonite on earth is turned to iron and Superman thinks he's now invulnerable, but then he finds out, no, he's not. And that's where the sand Superman and all that comes in. Uh, so it's a great, great story. It kicked off Superman in the bronze age. Uh, and of course, you know, heralded with that Neil Adams image that was used on all sorts of merchandise that he redrew on merchandise. And so it's, it's an iconic image of Superman that alone is, is worth this price because it is on sale. It's normally twenty nine ninety nine. It is only ten forty nine on in stock trades right now. You save sixty five percent. That is a steal. Wow, that's a fantastic deal. And uh, there's lots of other great Neil Adams stuff uh, on the website. So for these and all the other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com, and we thank them for their support. Now on with the show. But when the show was over, then the question is, what do you do with the comic books? I mean, Batman walking down the street in the daytime. And no kid is pointing at him and saying, Mommy, that's man's in his underwear. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what would happen. Uh, Batman walking through a door into a meeting room, it just seems so, rather than coming through the window or coming out of a closet or whatever. The, the question was, what do you do? Well, I, of course, uh, because I come from advertising illustration, I could easily see what the solution was. The solution was make him realistic and do Batman the way he was originally created. I didn't do anything to Batman. I drew him better. But I basically went back to the Jerry Robinson, uh, Bob Kane Batman and brought him forward in time and just left out that middle area of satire that was no longer there. We had humor, but not satire. We didn't make fun of him. We made him a realistic character. So by doing that, I mean, they were actually the uh, Batman appears in two books, uh, Batman and Detective Comics. They were on the verge of canceling Detective Comics and the sales on Batman weren't good. So it was a big problem at DC Comics. I was doing Batman over in a a comic book called Brave and Bold. Mm -hmm. And all the fan letters were saying, well, that's the only Batman at DC Comics is the one in Brave and Bold. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly. And uh, for this show, we are going to be talking about the career of the late, great Neil Adams, truly one of the most legendary figures in the history of comic book art. Any list of the greatest comic book artists of all time, uh, no matter how short it is, Neil Adams belongs on it. We can't possibly uh, expect to cover even but the smallest portion of the man's career. 
the man's contributions to the medium of comic books. But we're just going to have a hopefully a fun conversation about some of our favorite work by Mr. Adams and, uh, you know, and discussing some of the lasting impacts that he had on uh, on comic books, uh, again, as an industry. So uh, joining me are fellow Network All-Stars, Chris Franklin. Hi, Chris. Hi, Rob. In uh, keeping with the subject of this show, I am currently sitting here with a Batman mask and no shirt on. <laughs> and, and Paul, Paul Ken. Hey, Rob. Um, and, I, and I hope I can get through it. I was just stung by the scorpion on the ankle. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you got to come up with something really interesting, Tom. Also joining us is friend of the network and fellow podcaster, Tom Panarese. Hi, Tom. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the Mike's Amazing World page of all these covers. I'm just trying to like, seriously, holy shit! Um, <laughs> hi, how are you? <laughs> I, you know, I, yeah, that's really appropriate. Uh, I mean, as I said at the top of the show, I mean, just any show. I mean, Neil Adams could the work of Neil Adams in comics could fill a whole podcast series by itself. You know, you could just decide I'm going to just cover the work of Neil Adams and do like what one story two stories every episode and you have a couple yeah. of years worth of shows. I mean, the, the work is that deep, that, that long, that influential. Uh, I mean, there's just, it's, it's one of those things where like no superlative is kind of too much when discovering the work of Neil Adams. And so, like I said, at the top of the show, we're just going to talk about some of our favorite work of Neil's. He just passed away just recently, kind of unexpectedly. He was 80 years old. Mm-hmm. Not that 80 is, uh, you know, dying at 80, you know, 80 is not a tragedy. 80 is a good long life. That said, I know people a lot older than 80 years old and I, yeah. you know, uh, and I'll be 80 at some point, hopefully, and I don't want to die at 80. So, and from what we saw of him at conventions or appearances, he always seemed very kind of hale and hearty. You know, he looked young, I'd say for, for an 80 year old man. So I think it did come mm-hmm. as a little bit of a shock to everybody uh, that he, that he passed away. And of course, you know, one of his longtime collaborators, Danny O'Neill, passed away a couple of years ago. And of course, you know, we are losing a lot of the greats in the in the comic book world. But Neil Adams is like the greats among the greats. I mean, just unbelievable. So before we talk about some of our favorite pieces, which will probably be the bulk of this show, I just want to start by asking kind of an intro question. We'll start with you, Tom. Can you even possibly remember what the first time you ever saw any Neil Adams work? I mean, it's so... It's so prevalent. I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer my own question, but I'm wondering if any of you guys can. Do you, do you have an impression of like, whoa, what is, what's this? Um, I was trying to think about this and where I, it's very possible I saw some Neil Adams art prior to owning the uh, trade paperback version of the greatest Batman stories ever told back in like 89 or so. But that was the first time I saw the the name attached to the the art, and um, you know, I I I grew up on you know Super Friends reruns, and also the licensing art from the eighties, which was done by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Amazing. And <laughs> when I saw Neil Adams' art, it automatically was like that's what batman should look like you know and and because it was just like that because i had you know because it's clearly garcia lopez was taking from you know adams and without the chronology and everything so it was it was that stuff and as well as um about maybe a year or two after i had worked my way through that trade paperback several times over and i still own it it's sitting right next to me and it's 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 well loved um 
I bought a copy of Robin number one, and inside Robin number one was a poster of Tim Drake in the Robin costume standing on top of a gargoyle, as bad characters are wont to do. But it was by Neil Adams, and I completely devalued the comic because immediately I took the poster out of it and I put it on the wall in my bedroom. And it was up there until I think I I left for for college. I was I think it was just it was like in a permanent place on my wall um, for years and years and years. Uh, so I would say that was probably the first time I saw it. So it was in the context of of Batman and Robin. And then um, I do have a vague memory of of seeing some of his art in Les Daniels' Marvel um, Five Fabulous Decades of the World's Greatest Comics book because I got that around the same time I got the greatest Batman stories ever told. So yeah, that was my first exposure in the very late 80s when I actually started collecting or in the early 90s when I started collecting comics for real. Gotcha. All right. Chris, what about you? Uh, you know, I was I was trying to think and, and I thought it, it might have been the power of records, some of the sleeves. But I think actually it was probably I think Tempo put out a series of little paperbacks, black and white paperbacks, like the size of a paperback novel. Um, and there was a Batman one that had a panel from uh, the Return of Two-Face story that, that Denny O'Neill and, and Neil Adams did where they brought Two-Face back for the first time in, you know, like 15 almost 20 years and uh, it's got Batman and Robin swinging at Two-Face while he's hanging on to the outside of a, a giant clock, like big Ben type clock. Um, and there's two stories in there. The, uh, the enemy ace story that O'Neill oh. and Adams did, uh, which is of course in the greatest Batman stories ever told <laughs> as Tom pointed out. Yeah. And then, and then also uh, that Two-Face story, that Two-Face story is in it. Uh, and it was really weird because even at that, I mean, young pre-reading age, I'm like, okay, how come this story looks so much cooler than these other stories that were, <laughs> no offense to Sheldon Moldoff, drawn by Sheldon Moldoff during the new look phase. And I'm like, okay, this Batman looks really cool and kind of scary. And this Batman looks more like what I'm used to seeing on TV. Why does Batman look so different? So that kind of like, you know, art lesson right there, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, Paul, what about you? I don't remember for sure, but um, one of the books I, I thought uh, to, to talk about might have been it because it doesn't have uh, Neil Adams' art on the interior, but it's got an unbelievable cover. It's uh, um, DC's 100-page super spectacular number six, and people know this cover when they see it. It's got basically all the DC heroes, all the Justice League on the front with the, the Superman, Batman, and Earth 2 Wonder Woman, apparently uh, highlighted in the middle. Uh, and it's just, you know, I had this, you know, I would have been about, I'm much older than Tom, obviously. I would have been about <laughs> six at this time. Um, but, and I don't remember this, but I do know that Neil was the first artist I recognized, right? That I knew was different. And um, I grew to, you know, have others that were my favorites, like Jim Aparo and George Perez and others. But, but Adams was the first one I sort of, noticed if if that makes sense and this cover uh in in again in this covers like the first jla jsa crossover things of that nature and 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 just i remember thinking man this is a cool comic book so that <laughs> may be very well where i first encountered him uh you know when i was thinking about this uh, earlier and i mean i said i can't pinpoint it because i had i had comics in my house before i could even read so, I mean, I must have seen his work at, at some point. But what I 
what I can say is I think that I was able, I, I sort of made a distinction. I didn't know who this guy was, but I could t- his art style was so distinctive uh, until you started getting all the other artists that were copying him later on. N- none, no one else looked like him. You know, Neil Adams's work was completely unique in comics for a lot, for a long time, sixties into the seventies, no other style looked familiar like this. And I am sure that my encounters with his work must have been either the power records, as Chris talked about, or treasury covers mm-hmm. had to be one of those two items. And I think I can consciously flash back to those times where I was like, okay, whoever does these, like whoever, th- these aren't comics. These are like a separate thing. So whoever does these, like, that's what they do. Because whoever draws these power record sleeves and these treasury covers, they doesn't do the regular comics. Now, obviously, that was, you know, completely wrong. But I didn't, I was, I was not able to match up that, oh, maybe that's the same guy that I, so in my mind, it was like, oh, whoever they got to do these treasuries and power records, he's really special. Because this stuff's really amazing looking. And in my mind, like the power records and a lot of the DC treasuries, like that's Neil Adams. You know, like, that's just what they look like. It's just, it comes with these styles. And to my eyes, when I see a power record or even a treasury that's not drawn by Neil Adams, I almost get like, oh, that's not quite the same. It's not, you know, it's not like it's not as good, <laughs> but it just is not quite exactly the same thing because Neil was so dominant in just a couple of those kind of rarefied special things. I mean, the price points are higher, they're special projects. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the merchandising that he did. I know Chris is going to talk about some of it specifically. So, yeah, I mean, it's just the guy was just so uh, just prevalent. It's it's unbelievable. And, you know, uh, Tom, you made a reference to this earlier. If you go to Mike's Amazing World, everybody, and you, of course, you can search by creator credit. If you put in Neil Adams, right, uh, you, you put in stories, you're going to you're going to get a list that just goes on and on and on and on. And then if you do just the cover, you pull things just by covers, because initially we were, I thought, well, maybe we'll talk about maybe four or five images each maybe right and i'm sitting there and i'm like i can't pick five yeah. out of this group i can't <laughs> because i'm leaving something out like there's so much good here that i'm like i don't you know so <laughs> yeah now we will have a gallery post accompanying this episode it's on the website fridaywaterpodcast.com and you'll be able to see some of the selections that we made but but boy howdy you know again we're only going to be able to talk about just the briefest uh, you know, smallest sampling of of what the man did. I mean, not only was his work powerful, dynamic, innovative, he was prolific. I mean, just our, you know, nowadays guys like this probably were like just cover artists, you know, because they can't work that fast. But Neil was cranking out full length books and doing covers for like Superboy and Tomahawk and the House of Mystery. And I'm sure that DC must have figured out at some point this guy helps sell some comics. So let's get him to draw a house of mystery cover and not do anything on the insides. And I don't think I'm the only person who ever bought a back issue <laughs> drawn by Neil Adams with the cover by Neil Adams. You get the inside and you're like, Oh, okay. He didn't draw any of the stories on the, in- the on story the- <laughs> of Rob. That's the story of my lowest lane collection. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're like, Oh, this is going to be, Oh, all right. Well, this is all right too. I guess that's fine. So yeah, if you look at, oh. if you look at that link, there's, 800 covers uh, in there, which is amazing. 631 are DC. And he didn't do much in comics in like the 80s and half the 90s. You know? Right. It's just amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, the bulk of it is 60s and 70s. And by, by looking at this list, like he, I, I mentioned this before we started recording, he did covers for books I never knew he touched. You know, I mean, like there's Girls Young Romance. I never knew he did a cover for that. Or Thor. I didn't know he ever did a cover for Thor. I had no idea. So, I mean, it was just what an amazing uh, discovery we got to make. I got to learn even more about Neil's stuff. So, all right, let me start with, uh, let me start with Chris. Uh, what is like your, again, we're not going to like hold everybody like a hard, fast five picks and that's it. We're going to just kind of keep this loose. Uh, but like, Chris, what was like one of the ones you specifically wanted to highlight? Uh, you know, something that jumped out at me just uh, when I was looking through those, and this is a comic Ryan and I covered on Nightcast back in the day, but one of my favorite covers, because it's quintessential Neil Adams and quintessential early 70s DC, is Detective Comics number 402. That's the second Man Bat story. Mm. That's the one where Batman's in the foreground with a lantern. He's walking through a, a marsh, and Man yeah. Bat's coming up behind him, and he looks pissed. <clears throat> Uh, you could honestly replace Batman with an average Joe and put this on the cover of House of Mystery, but why would you ever want to not have Neil Adams' Batman on the cover? <laughs> uh, he looks awesome because he's, you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, Neil Adams is probably the greatest artist who ever drew Batman. I don't think that's too much of a, oh, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> with me, you know, uh, you know so, I'm, yeah, I mean, not really. Uh, but, yeah, right, but, uh, exactly, not a hot take. <laughs> Right. But I mean, the, not only is it, um, is it just, you know, it's got one of his signature Batman characters, man bat that he created and he suggested, you know, that he, they even make man create man bat, but it's also um, the colors on it are so moody and murky. And they're the type of thing that Adams pushed on the production department. You don't have to print in like primary colors. You know, (laughs) you realize you can do this, Jack Adler and Saul Harrison, and they're beating their head against the printing press. <laughs> Neil, here's Neil Adams again going, hey, guys, I want to do this. And they're like, oh, God, it's that Adams guy again, you know. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's gorgeous. I mean, it totally, it's so moody. It's just, it creates this atmosphere like, oh, God, I got to buy that comic. You know, it's so creepy. And it, it's just, it, it, so much of DC's output in the early 70s was even books like Teen Titans became like horror tinged and supernatural. <laughs> the mystery books were so popular. Uh, and, and so it just, it feels like just like the perfect time capsule of, of DC in the early seventies because of Neil Adams, the subject matter and those awesome production values he brought to it. Absolutely. You know, and man bad, I think is one of those characters that when drawn by, I don't want to say the wrong artist, but, well, let's say the wrong artist. When drawn by the, looks incredibly goofy and not mm-hmm. scary. But when Neil's draws when Neil draws him, drew him, he's terrifying. You know? And it's like, well, that's why the character works, because your first ver- version of him is the one by Neil Adams and therefore he's terrifying. Right. Yeah. I agree. It's amazing, amazing stuff. So all right, so Paul, what's what's your first selection? So I'm gonna group uh, a, a few together. I first read both the hard traveling heroes and uh, the dead man series in the sort of Baxter version reprints that DC did in the um, early to mid eighties with new covers by Neil Adams. And so like, for example, dead man, number one, it's got the two and a dead man is standing over his own dead body screaming. No, I am. I am dead. No, no, no. I mean, you just look at that and it's, it's like, I want to read this comic without a question. 
Uh, and then the Green Lantern, Green Arrow is one where they're each grabbing each other's shirt and arguing uh, the battle of values that shook a nation. Right. And, and he did new covers. They are each from, I don't know, six or seven issues reprinting two or three stories per, per uh, issue. And that's where I read those books for the first time and, and really uh, got an extended run of those. And man, those are, uh, you know, those are fantastic. And, and I like these covers that are, that were redone in the, in that time frame. Absolutely. All right, Tom, what about you? I'm going to go with something that Chris actually already mentioned in passing the ghost of the killer skies story from, I don't remember what detective issue that is, um, with, where basically uh, it's him and Denny O'Neill doing a team up with enemy ace, but you know, playing with some time and stuff, but because it's just a absolutely gorgeous um, story that led me to um, wanting to read that, that character, not just, you know, outside of Batman and then getting into the old Kaniger Kubert um, enemy ace stories and a shout out to Luke Giaconetti who sent me a copy of the showcase edition of that, which has all those in there, but it's just a beautifully drawn book. And, and he, um, you know, he could take Batman and take him out of the, out of the middle of the night sometimes or out of the middle of Gotham city and still make him look, still make it feel like a Batman comic, you know, because he did all the racial ghoul stories, which half of them are like in the desert somewhere or something like that. And it still feels like Batman, you know, we, I don't need a gargoyle in the, in the background and everything like that. And, uh, and, and him swinging through the city all the time. And I just, um, you know, reading those and, and in the greatest Batman stories ever told, it is the first story after a, uh, it's a car after a Carmine Infantino new look Batman story. So you can see the marked difference in that. And I can't imagine beyond maybe Frank Miller, anybody else having more of an influence on this character. So I, I wanted to start with Batman for that reason. And, and that story, because it's just, again, it's, it's atypical of, of what you would expect from a, from a Batman story. Completely. Like, you know, like I said, with man, bat bat, a shirtless Batman with his, <laughs> with his cowl on should look ridiculous. But when Neil Adams draws, it looks cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> he totally <laughs> buy it. Absolutely. And <laughs> shout out to the hairy chest Batman. Too, yeah. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's no yeah, it. absolutely magnificent. I got to tell you the first, the first pass in my list, I looked down at, at my little Google Doc and I went, "There were all those are all Batman comics." Jeez, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta diversify this a little bit. Uh, I remembered somebody. I don't even know where I saw it. Maybe it was like a fanzine or like Amazing Heroes, or I have no idea. But someone said, "Has there ever been like a better pairing of artist and character than Neil Adams and Batman?" And you're like, "No, not really." You know, like <laughs> not really. It's in terms of. The style and and of course you know we no one you know younger people don't remember this stuff but like you know Neil Adams and Daniel O'Neill came to Batman right after the series had crested and then crashed mm-hmm. and Batman yeah. was kind of like in in you know kind of a joke because as much as we all love the TV show it it had done a number on the character in terms of the popular perception and here comes these two guys saying no 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 no. We're going to make him super dark. I hate to use the word gritty and dark because, you know, those are such a pejorative to them now. But, like, we're going to, we're going to put him in this Batman cover 
uh, this man, man bat cover. It's going to look cool. We're going to have him fighting in the desert with his shirt off. It's going to look totally cool. I mean, talk about, you know, like a 180 of the character. And that's mostly due to O'Neill and Adams, and especially Adams because of the visuals that he brought to it. He's just yeah, unbelievable. I, I, I love the I love the story that that Neil Adams wanted to do Batman, but Julius Schwartz had his 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 you know group of artists that he used. So he started doing uh, the Brave and the Bold uh, with uh, uh, under uh, I think it was Murray Boltonoff and or maybe it was um, Cashden George Cashden at first, but anyway. And, and, you know, he would take the Bob Haney scripts and say, I'm going to make this at night. Batman's <laughs> it's at night. You know, I'm going to make his cape a little longer. His ears weren't longer as first, but I'm going to, you know, he, he started doing the moody things that he did with Batman. And, you know, uh, Julie Schwartz starts getting letters saying, Hey, how come the real Batman's in Brave and the Bold? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, Julia Schwartz, like, you know, corners Neil Adams in the, in the hallway and says, what makes you think you know how Batman's supposed to be? And he, and he's like, Julie, every kid in America knows the way Batman's supposed to be, you know? <laughs> and so he finally gave in and just, oh, fine. You know, you can draw, draw some Batman. And, <laughs> you know, and the, and the rest is history. So. Unbelievable. Un- yeah. Unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I'm looking at the, you know, the list here. And, uh, and, and then, again, I had the toughest time because I was like, Am I picking five just favorites? <laughs> Am I picking five that are the best at pure draftsmanship? Am I picking five that are the best designed? You know what I mean? Like I could, I was, and then yeah. I decided I threw all that out. I'm like, all right, just five that I like because I just can't. I'm getting so bogged down with rules here. By the way, I was shocked to learn the very first comic book cover he ever drew for anything was The Adventures of Bob Hope. Bob Hope. That <laughs> is. And, and- and do you also did a Jerry couple of Jerry Lewis covers? Couple Jerry Lewis, yeah. I yeah. And then, again, the guy could do a, a humor comic for God's sake, like unbelievable. I just yeah. unbelievable. But yeah. so anyway, my first choice is Justice League of America number sixty-seven. And for those of you who can't immediately get conjure what that that cover is, that is the it was their eighty-page giant uh, edition of Justice League of America, and it's a reprint book featuring reprints of the three issues where members join the team, namely Green Arrow, Adam, and Hawkman. So it's an all reprint book, but they were like, okay, we want to put like a new cover on this because it'll probably help sell it. And it's that classic shot of a bunch of members of the Justice League holding like whatever that circular thing is that like football (laughs) players run through. I still don't know the name of that object. Um, But it's... (laughs) Yeah, whatever, the circus hoop or something, but it's got the paper on it. And the yeah. three Justice League members are bursting through it. And that that design has been copied and covered. Uh, co- you know, other artists have used it for, there was a DC giant about the, the Justice League uh, members and they, Gil Kane did a version of it. But this features the seven JLAers, um, the original seven with the three new members jumping through. And it's just such a joyous cover. It's like, it, you know, I've said on numerous episodes of Fire and Water, I'm such a sucker for superheroes doing, like, social things together. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I love that. <laughs> so, like, they're having a party. They're having a party for their, for their three new members. And it's got, and we can, you know, of course, it's drawn within an inch of its life. It's fantastic. I mean, Neil could do moody like nobody else, but he could also do fun. And this is just so joyous as the seven members are just like, yay, here are our new members. And this thing has got so much cover copy on it. I mean, it's drowning in copy, and yet 
the image that Neil draws just no pun intended burst through despite all of that cover copy. So it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's one of my favorite images of the JLA period. And it's one of my favorite Neil Adams drawn because I guess it's just so happy and joyous. So I absolutely um, love it. So, all right, let's move on. Chris, what's your second pick? Uh, for my second pick, uh, I've got to go like with something that's, that's, that's very, that's very dear to me. And that is a power records. That's uh that's the Batman album eight one six seven in case because there's several <laughs> Batman albums. Uh, that is the one that's got it's got Robin meets Man Bat, which is of course the my beloved thing that got me started on this this whole podcasting journey because Rob and I talked about Robin meets Man Bat. But uh, Batman right. and Robin are running on the beach in Gotham because Neil Adams liked to draw Batman running on the beach uh, <laughs> because of the Joker's five way revenge uh, <laughs> that famous panel. Uh, but they look so determined and just, it's such a powerful image uh, of them. I mean, it's a very seventies Batman and older Robin. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, it is that cover of this album is the image of Batman and Robin of the bronze age for me. That is, that is it because it's like, uh, you know, it's one uh, Neil remembered to draw Batman's utility belt uh, on him. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and two, uh, it just, it's got Robin. He looks great. And I love the Teen Wonder College era Robin, which I know Paul does too. He's covering him on Batman Family Reunion. Um, so it, it's, it, I, I, I listened to this album over and over and I stared at this cover over and over. And uh, when my son Andrew was um, younger and after he'd moved out of, he got too old for the super junior stuff we had up in his room, I took this album cover, scanned it, uh, touched up some parts on it and printed it out and put it on foam board. And it was the image of Batman and Robin. I had other superhero. I had a Kurt Swan Superman and a Gil Kane Green Lantern on his wall, but this was Batman and Robin um, in his room. And then on the back, there's this portrait of Batman and Robin. They're, they're staring right at you. And, and I, I don't know what we did, but man, they're pissed. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they are just so determined. I mean, even Robin, I mean, this, you know, there's that famous panel that George Perez drew in that second New Teen Titans annual where Robin means business and, all. oh, he's not a boy, he's a man. Well, Robin's got that same face here. You know, you don't want to mess with him. Uh, and there's this nice shot of a really cool Batmobile, like blazing, you know, blazing in between them, you know, symbolically. It's just, I mean, it's just the epitome of cool. And on my copy, you can see that little Chris tried to draw a Batman beside Neil Adams. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously the inspiration was there and very early on. So <laughs> I I'm sure Neil would have loved that. <laughs> you know, I think that, I think that probably would have made him very, very happy. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, I'm going to be getting to a power record as well. It's just unavoidable. The, the stuff he did for, uh, for those sleeves. So uh, Paul, what's your second pick? So, I, you know, I, I was looking through my various ones on the list, and most of them have multiple uh, characters on it, which I, I found interesting. I didn't do that on purpose. But uh, I'm going to – and a lot of them, obviously, have Batman on them. But I'm going to go with World's Finest, number 208. It stars Superman and Dr. Fate. And this is the famous story where Superman has to attach a harness to his back and drag the Earth back into its orbit. <laughs> 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 And science and, you know, <laughs> and you know, you just said earlier about how you could take something that just sounds super silly and make it look really cool. I mean, Dr. Fate's almost 
a little bit of an after. I mean, Dr. Fate's got a cool costume to start. And then you have it drawn by Neil Adams. But the star of the show in this one, Superman, he's coming towards us, his face straining, sweat even in space, uh, pouring off his face uh, with his big harness. And it's attached to the earth and he's dragging it back in the corner. And man, it just jumps off the spinner rack to you. It absolutely does it. And it, Neil Adams, one of the things he was great, I mean, he's great at everything, but something he was very good at and he used that to his advantage for the drama was his ability to do foreshortening. Uh, yeah. And as I have mentioned yeah. on numerous uh, podcasts, and I'm sure Chris will back me up on this, foreshortening is really hard. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And with somebody like Adams, who's in a very realistic style, it's even harder. Yeah. Because... I mean, not, not taking anything away from Jack Kirby, but Jack Kirby's very distinctive stylized style makes it easier to hide <laughs> the, the uh, hiccups of foreshortening. With Adams, it's got to be done just right. Yeah. And he does. <laughs> when, you, when you do foreshortening wrong, it just, you, you can't keep your eye off it. You know, you're just like, what, what am I looking at? And uh, <laughs> Neil, Neil was able to do it really well. And by the way, the, uh, the, the kind of, again, back to like the whole shirtless Batman or man bat, the, the Superman dragging the earth via a harness. It, may, mm. it makes me think of like that classic quote from Harrison Ford about George Luke, about Star Wars, where he told George Lucas, <laughs> you can write this shit, but you can't say it. It's like Daniel O'Neill just writes, Superman has a harness that atta- attaches to Earth so he can drag it. And it's like, well, now i got to draw that. Like, yeah, thanks, Denny. Like, how do, I, how do I not make this look completely ridiculous? I mean, come on. But yet he did. I, but yet I he think did. If, I'm, if I remember right, that same kind of image of by Neil Adams of Superman uh, pulling the Earth was used on a DC calendar later, too. Oh, so, you're yeah. probably right, Chris, because it's, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's just a very... Um, striking covers for sure, and yeah. and and also the colors there, uh, like Superman oh, yeah. is kind of darkened, like he's yeah. away from the, the the light source or something. So even then, like Chris was talking about earlier, like Neil was like, "Hey, we don't have to always use primary colors. We can use some shadings to darken yeah. things and give it a sense of depth and stuff." And yeah, as, as you said, I'm sure Jack Adler and Saul Harrison were like rolling their eyes, like, "All right, all right, all right." And he's like, <laughs> "Trust me, he's gonna look really cool." So all right, so Tom, what's your second pick? This next one is a comic that I've never actually owned. I've read the stories inside of it because I have the DC app, but I've coveted this treasury edition and it's limited collector's edition C51, which is the Rachel Ghoul anthology. (laughs) And it has that, that cover of Robin laying like he's appearing dead in Batman and agony and rushed looking like demonically appropriately behind him. And, Oh, it's just gorgeous. And the only time I've ever seen it in the wild, I saw it on my LCS. Um, it was sitting on the counter. I asked how much you wanted for it. He said, well, it's $25, but it's already reserved. And I was like, oh, <sighs> I, and I haven't seen it for anything, you know, that I would be willing to pay or could afford at the time since. So it is, it's, it's one of the few, it's one of the few like comics where I'm like, if I can get that at a decent price, I definitely will if I ever see it in the wild. But but yeah, and the stories, I mean, the stories are absolutely gorgeous. And um, I have to also mention, I forgot to mention this in the last thing. Um, the fact that he has, um, he has a couple, sometimes he did his own inking, but then he had it like, he worked with really good inkers as well. Cause Dick Giordano did a number of his Batman stories and then Giordano would pencil later and you can see the, you know, the, the, the Adams and Giordano later on, like in no hope and crime alley and stuff. So, so it's really cool to see his influence as the decade goes on. 
But this particular cover, I'm just staring at it, and I'm just like, I want that kind of comic. Tom, you know, I mean, I I think that's the single most iconic piece of art. I mean, I bought it off the stand, so I have my copy holding it right in front of me right now. And um, uh, it is, this is where I read the whole, you know, Tales of the Demon for the first time before I had Mm. the actual issues. And it is really, um, you know, that cover just, you know, the way he's screaming and Robin's lying on the ground and Tali in the background. I mean, just got everything. You yeah. can feel the scream. You, yeah, like, you can feel, feel it, it you, you know? Feel it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the use of the craft tent board, which is that kind of because, you know, speckled pattern that he's got mm-hmm. with Risha Ghoul in the background. Uh, I think in the Batman cover to cover hardcover that came out about 20 years ago, Alex Ross picked that cover as like the one, image that he got to talk about and he said mm-hmm. that uh, it just it just screamed everything about batman to him and it made him a fan of the treasury format and stuff like that yeah it's just an absolute masterpiece uh, of a cover i mean it tells you how do you not buy that comic if you see it on the stands yes. you know robin's dead oh my god you know how does this <laughs> and there's this guy yeah. looming behind him it's and it's a wraparound cover i mean yeah. Oh yeah, it's if, if, if you think about it, that's like it's a second pass on the first appearance of Rachel Ghoul cover because, and that's a great cover too because you know it sure is Rach is like looming over Batman and Robin while Robin's getting shot, but mm-hmm. it's better because Robin appears to be dead. And I remember seeing ads for this uh, Treasury in like some of my earliest comics that I bought and. That it scared the crap out of me because one, Robin's dead. <laughs> Batman, why is Batman screaming? And who is this? Dracula looking dude in the background. <laughs> you know, and, and I lucked into finding a, a copy of it about all oh, 20 years ago or so. And oh, I, I love, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to rub it in, Tom. I'm sorry. But it, yeah, it's it is, okay. It's okay. I'll find it one day. It is, it is a glory to be. <laughs> see, see, as all three of us have said, yeah, we all have it. And, uh, and you know, uh, it, it, it demands the treasury size too. It does. Oh yeah. Just, yeah. 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 I, I, I didn't want to mention that. Yeah. It's on, it's on my shelf. A couple it's, feet it's from okay. Me it's right okay. Now. I'll be okay. So, <laughs> so, uh, well, again, again, absolutely an excellent pick. So my pick, my second pick, I, I could not stay away from the power records. Not that I needed to, but I, I couldn't. And my one is a bad man again. Uh, God, we're going to move on to some other characters here. Batman, the stacked cards cover which is Batman and Robin standing in a spotlight and behind them is a framed painting of the Joker and he's laughing. Now it's, it's, it's Adams, own version of a classic Batman cover from the golden age of mm-hmm. Batman and Robin standing in that spotlight. And Batman has this kind of cape up to his face because he's, you know, he's Batman. Um, but the, I feel like this image again, completely covered in cover copy. You know, book and record set, a dollar forty nine. You know, book and record, another picture. Power Records look. I mean, you know, he had a tiny space to work with. But I look at this image and I'm like, this is Batman. Mm-hmm. This, this tells you everything. If you've never, if you're, if you wandered onto this planet and you were like, who is? I mean, what is Batman? I, I'm hearing about it. What is it? This is the image. You know, it's he's shrouded in darkness, but he's got this partner who's dressed in all bright colors, who's not kind of like uh, afraid of the spotlight. And you've got this clearly creepy clown behind him. And the laughter is spilling out off the painting into the ether, the air above him. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so, I don't believe it's not been a t-shirt yet. I've never seen it on a t-shirt. I don't know how it can't be because it is to me. It's like, it's Batman. 
it, it like well, kind of like what Chris was talking about his pirate record. This image to me is 1970s Batman for all time. It's just absolutely perfect, absolutely perfect. I just I just completely love it. I'm looking at it right now. It just gives me such joy to look at it. Just so. Uh, absolutely classic. So, okay. So, Chris, uh, what is your third pick? Um, for my third pick, I'm going a little out there. And I mentioned a, a calendar um, earlier. Well, DC in 1976 did a super DC calendar. Warner, Bro- Warner Books actually published it. Uh, but the art is all by either Neil or and or Dick Giordano. So, it, this is a gorgeous piece. Cindy got it for me for Christmas again, probably about 20 years ago. And I, I just, it's like, you know, it's like having a nice portfolio of, of Adams and Giordano that you can just flip through the cover uh, is, is, is wonderful. You've got Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash Green Lantern and Shazam because it's the seventies and he was a TV star uh, mm. running out. Uh, yeah, no Aquaman. I know we'll get to that. In a minute. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's a, uh, Neil Adams. I mean, basically, this is like it's almost like loose, loose leaf. Who's who? Twenty years early, you know, basically, or fifteen years early, because each image is like just it's like iconic for each character. I mean, there there's a a legion. The legion even get in here. The legion, Superman, Flash. There's a wonderful image of Aquaman, uh, where he's you know with all his finny friends behind him. They're like making a. Uh, like a, I don't know, a conga line or something, you know, it's, they're, they're all falling. <laughs> it's kind of like his version of the Murphy Anderson Aquaman shot, like where his back is real curved and stuff. It's like yeah. a, a, an updated version of that. Yeah, it is. It is. And I mean, you know, there's a couple like, uh, uh, you know, because Dick Giordano was great at drawing women. He gets to draw the, the, the uh, image of Lois Lane, Supergirl, Black Canary, Hot Girl and Mary Marvel together. And then he gets to draw the Wonder Woman solo, but the rest, Neil at least pencils them. There's a great Batman and Robin shot again with Robin looking over the edge of a building with a gargoyle. And there's a wonderful Christmas shot where Superman has a Christmas hat on reading stories to the little kids. And, oh, I know that picture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's a great. One. There's, there's a great green lantern, green arrow um, image that was later lifted and used on one of the trade paperbacks. Uh, and it's, it's just gorgeous. And then on the back cover uh, there's the heroes, flying out from the DC logo. Uh, this this image says by Adams and Giordano, but I think just Adams, re, I mean, just Giordano redrew it for that limited collector's edition, I think C46, which is the Justice League, where it's mm-hmm. Justice League on the front and the JSA on the back. Mm-hmm. But uh, Aquaman replaces Captain Marvel as he should, Rob. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But, I mean, one thing about this that's, makes it even more iconic this image with aquaman instead of captain marvel was redrawn for the opening of challenge of the super friends yes yeah yeah the hall of justice so i mean you don't get more iconic than that i mean so i i just i just love having this and i i just get it out and look at it every once in a while <laughs> let's just get all those little fun facts and birthdays um, of the heroes, which had to be written by E. Nelson Bridwell. I, I mean, <laughs> so it's it's just a wonderful time capsule of of seventies DC. Who else would know out. when like Matter Eater Lad's birthday was? You know, yeah. like, who, who else knows that? I'm sorry, Paul. Let yeah. me interrupt you. Now, I was going to say, uh, 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 Chris, you ought to figure out what year duplicates the dates and use it as your calendar for that year. <laughs> I did that. I have a I forget what year it was. Uh, one of the Spider Man calendars that I had when I was a kid, and I dug it up and. 
couple of years ago it was the exact match for the year. So I used it all year. It was awesome. <laughs> yep. I, I did that with my Superman, the movie calendar a few years back. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I, I never had that calendar, but man, I saw ads for it in DC comics. Like, Oh man, I want, yeah. I want that calendar. So bad. <laughs> it's so yeah. cool. So all right, Paul, what's your next pick? So I'm going to go with one that may not be one of his most iconic covers, part of which is because it's an image that's only taken up, you know, like half the page because it's one of these 100-page super spectaculars. But it's Batman number 255, and I have my copy in front of me. When I was a kid, this was just one of my favorite comic books of all time. And the story is The Moon of the Wolf. So this is the one where Batman battles the uh, werewolf, uh, was adapted into an episode of uh, the animated series, of course. Batman's on, in, on the front, uh, you know, chained to the ground as this werewolf comes after him. And he, in the story, he has to pick the locks with his teeth. And, you know, and shirtless Bruce Wayne is working out with, the, with, with, his, uh, with his friends in the, in the gym and all these kind of things. It's just an unbelievable story to end up, Batman is up, ele- you know, electrocuting him. And he, his shirt gets ripped off and you see it. it, it Pre, you know, it's got, you know, half his shirt is all ripped off. Just a fabulous story. But it was one of my favorites because not only does it have this story in it, but it reprints the story about Thomas Wayne being Batman. It's got an Alfred story, Robin battling crazy quilt. I mean, just just has just everything in it, this comic book. So just kind of a, a sentimental favorite. But, you know, uh, the cornerstone, obviously, is the Adams. Um, and and the, the title page has a, 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 a swipe, not a swipe, a... Um, an image of the running on the beach from the Joker's five way revenge story <laughs> on the uh, title on the table of contents, which is pretty funny. Yeah, that that's a great one, Paul. I, and in fact, that was on my short list too. And, and I, I, uh, I, I think that's like Neil Adams last interior Batman work for ever. Uh, yeah. Like for decades too. Yeah, uh, so yeah, it might be. Uh, that's pretty late. Cause I had this late. one. This was one I would have bought, you know, off the rack. This is 1974, so I would have been nine. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, a lot of these other ones, you know, I read in either Treasuries or reprints or, you know, got the issues later. Um, but, um, but this one I know I had, and the copy I'm looking at now definitely was not the copy I had when I was a kid because I knew <laughs> that the cover fell off and all the rest. Uh, but uh, I must have bought a better copy at some point. But, uh, yeah, it's just one of my favorite comic books, period. All right, yeah, cool. All right, Tom, what about you? I'm actually going to dip over to Marvel for this. Um, X-Men number 59. Uh, it is a cover with Cyclops shooting at some Sentinels. And the, uh, the, the bottom left-hand corner says the last X-Men. And um, I recently finished a read-through via the Essentials editions of everything from X-Men number one, the Lee Kirby, all the way to the end of Inferno. Um, and... <clears throat> I was hot and cold on everything prior to giant size X-Men number one. And this is one of the times like when Neil Adams was doing the artwork on, it's only like a handful of issues in like the mid fifties into the sixties uh, in terms of the number of the, of the book um, that, that he did it, but he, he just made this, um, this, this book that had like, you know, um, it had prior to that, it had a lot of, you know, artwork by people like Don Heck and Dick Ayers and, and stuff who were, who were, you know, perfectly fine. But this just kind of did the same thing he did with Batman. It just made it look like, um, just out, just completely outstanding. The only person in, in that book who had been able to do that prior to that was Jim Starenko, who did, I think an issue or two around like issue 50. 
And uh, this is the issue after that iconic cover with Havoc on the on the. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh man, but, that's awesome. But this is a great story where like they're all taken out by and fighting Sentinels and then taken out by them. And I think the next up issue is like either fighting Sauron, but um, but yeah, I mean the the second to last page, um, the Sentinels flying into the sun, and now I'm looking at it in black and white because I have the essential in front of me, but, um, but it's just, it's some really dynamic artwork and a splash page of, of just the sun taking up the entire page. And then the Sentinels coming in from the upper left-hand corner and disappearing into the center and they get smaller and smaller. And it's just, uh, um, it's just amazing. It's amazing stuff. And this is his artwork on the X-Men was, was really, really good. But I think the book actually got canceled like shortly after his run because it just couldn't. I mean, the, the book didn't sell very well from what I understood. Up isn't until that amazing to think the about? The mid 70s. Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah. But then I remember that Batman was, or like Detective was on the verge of being canceled. That's right. It in was the 70s as well. The Batman family. Yeah. So, so it's just kind of interesting of how these two uh, titles that are now like stalwarts of, and some of the best sellers, especially Batman. I mean, how many Batman books do we have out on the stands right now? Thirty. Um, I think all you know, of just, them. Yeah, all of them. Exactly. <laughs> so, but like with this X Men stuff, it's just it's phenomenal. And like I said, I'm 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 lukewarm on a lot of the stuff prior to the all uh, all all the all new all different Chris Claremont stuff. But this is a uh, it's a real treat when you come across this in, in an anthology or, or flipping through some X books. Yeah, those are some great covers. Those are really, really great, yeah. great, great stuff. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So for my third pick, I'm finally moving off of Batman. Uh, I'm staying in DC though, uh, but I will move on to some other companies, I promise. But, uh, but okay, this, this one's kind of a random one and it is DC special number six. And the subject of this was the wild frontier. And it's a collection of, and it's a little bit of a, uh, of a Superman salutes the bicentennial kind of, uh, you know, folder all because the <laughs> cover is got this cowboy where he's we're from the back. He's on down on his knees. His horse is dead or at the very least unconscious. And then in the background is a spaceship <laughs> landing. Uh, and of course, you know, there's the, the amazing lighting going on where the, 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 the light from the, the fuel that's being landed is like, you know, blasting, the cowboy from the front. So you, you know, you're just like, wow. And so it's a, it's a mix of, you know, well, essentially cowboys and aliens, uh, a full like, 40 years before they made that movie. Um, but I, as far as I could tell, the reprints are all just Western reprints. Like there's no sci-fi element to this at all. <laughs> so this is just a cool cover that they hired Neil to do. I don't know if Neil just came up with it himself or the editor, Dick Giordano said, I don't know, put a spaceship in it or something. I have no idea, but, um, I guess kids maybe felt a little cheated by plunking down their quarter and then they got Davy Crockett reprints on the inside instead of this cool <laughs> Neil Adams cover. But it is such a striking image. Um, again, drowning in cover copy. I mean, the DC special logo is about a third of the cover. It is ridiculous how big that logo is. I mean, it's just absurd. And yet, Neil tells a whole story. Uh, in just this single image, and again, the lighting is so gorgeous, and you feel bad for that poor horse. Uh, I don't know if he's dead or not. But he just—he's not in a good, <laughs> not in a, a good way. Uh, but man, it is just an amazing cover. And I mean, thank you, Mike's Amazing World, because without you, I might buy this comic if I had seen it somewhere, and then I'd be like, wait a minute, there's no aliens in this whole thing at all. This is all just cowboy reprints. So what the hell? <laughs> but the image itself is 
is just stunning. And again, it, it violates a lot of the rules of kind of covers is that you don't see anybody's face. That is almost, you never want to do that. You almost always want to show someone's face. Uh, and yet we're, you know, we're left to imagine what the, the look on this cowboy uh, has and seeing this ridiculous, amazing thing landing in the, landing in the, in the, in the scrub brush. So, I mean, it's just absolutely, again, that they, they knew that Neil Adams clearly sold comics. So let's slap a cover onto a collection of reprints uh, that maybe weren't going to go anywhere, but let's get Neil to do it and it'll look exciting and beautiful. So it's just an absolutely marvelous cover. So that is, that is my third pick. So, all right, Chris, pick number four. Okay, uh, I have to, of course, mention Mego because Neil Adams <laughs> did a lot of artwork for Mego, uh, and he did a lot of the, the packaging work in uh, later the later series. Mego packaging art got off to a little shaky start at the beginning, but then Neil Adams came in, thankfully. Uh, and one of the most gorgeous things he did for them is it's part of it's on the box, but it's on the playset itself, and that's the Hall of Justice playset. Oh, so yes. when, it's, when it's folded up, it's like a big carrying case, and there's this gorgeous wraparound art of – it looks like a DC crossover, a big crisis crossover, before they even had those. Uh, because uh, Wonder Woman's fighting some big dragon-looking thing, which, of course, is actually scary-looking because Neil Adams drew it. There's this wonderful – a shot of Aquaman and there's this giant wave behind him. So you get the idea that Aquaman's trying to stop some massive flood from happening. Superman's coming up on uh, a collapsed bridge because even this is before Christopher Reeve even come up on that. Uh, and then on the back, there's an image of Supergirl like flying. There's a, like a little screen that's made into the, to it. So you see this image of Supergirl underneath, but what has plagued Mego fans for decades now? <laughs> Neil drew Green Arrow fighting robots alongside his buddy Green Lantern, who Mego never made. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Green Lantern appears on this package, uh, on this you know, on this playset. They never made a figure of him. So, but you can just you know, you can pretend he's there because yeah, you know, Adam awesome. drew it. Awesome, but I mean. What what other artist is going to put this much detail, this much energy into, you know, I mean, they could have just slapped some logos on this thing or used the clip art, you know, that they already had of, you know, use a Carmine Infantino Batman, use a Kurt Swan Superman. But no, this is like, this is like a story on, on this, on this, uh, on this playset. It's, I mean, you don't even have to open this thing to have fun with it. Just look at it. You know? So <laughs> it's wonderful. It is one of my favorite Mego pieces. And I discovered that at a uh, toy store down in ocean city, uh, back in the nineties. And, uh, I wanted it so bad. I begged the store owner to let me put it on layaway. And he did. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I paid it off in bits and pieces and I had it for many, many years. And, I absolutely, it is just, a, it's a marvelous place. But yeah, that, that painting on the, the wraparound is just, and Aquaman is in the center. He's in the yeah. center of it, which is awesome. I love that. And, but, but boy, it is, it is such a gorgeous piece. It is just, it's, yeah. And you're right. Like they could have slapped anything on it and they probably would have sold it, but they commissioned Neil to do an original piece. Like, oh, just chef's kiss, man. It's absolutely gorgeous. So, all right, Paul, what's your uh, next pick? So uh, Tom picked the Marvel book earlier. You know, I didn't really 
discover much in Neil's Marvel work till till you know much later. But um, you know, I I did have one from the eighties that was from an independent book, and and it was one of the early independents I bought. Ms. Mystic, number one, um, <laughs> from Pacific Comics. And, you know, it's got a really just cool cover by Neil um, with Ms. Mystic on, on the front. From this day forward, the planet Earth is under my protection. You know, defile it not. And and she's holding a sword made out of some sort of energy stuff. Her, her hair is Starfire-esque around the Earth, and it's just a really cool wasn't that impressed with the story, I remember, but uh, but the art sure was cool. And, and this, you know, Neil had been away from comics for a while, and and th- this this was, I don't know, I think his first new stuff and you know, interiors for a while. But it, this is a, um, you know, just a an awesome cover that um, you know is is important just from that standpoint. So. Absolutely, yeah, marvelous, uh, fantastic, fantastic piece. So, Tom, what's next? Um. I'm going to, shocking for me, I know, talk about the Teen Titans for a moment. Um, he did some Teen Titans work, um, uh, infamously penciled with Nick Cardi Inc.'s um, Teen Titans number 20, which was originally supposed to be a Marv Wolfman written story where he introduced the first black superhero whose name was Jericho, and it got vetoed by editorial at the last minute, and they changed the story around, and... Um, I think Bob Heen wrote this, if I'm looking at my credits correctly. Uh, no, no, Neil wrote and penciled it, and then um, Cardi, uh, Cardi inked it. But Cardi has his very heavy hand in, in his inks, because like, looking at the stuff that Cardi inked of Adams, I can't tell the two apart. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go to the, I'm looking at my Showcase Presents Teen Titans volume here. I'm going to go to the thing that's right before it, which is the Brave and the Bold number 59, uh, number 83 which is called Punish Not My Evil Son. It's Batman with the Teen Titans, Bob Haney writing, Neil Adams doing all the artwork. Um, there's an Irv Nova cover of Batman holding Robin by the co- collar and protecting this little uh, <laughs> snide-looking little punk you want to hit. Um, I'm picturing, I'm picturing uh, the bully kid from A Christmas Story is playing him. <laughs> Scott Farkas. Yes, yeah, Scott Farkas. No one lays a hand on my son while I live. So, like, basically, he takes in this, like, you know, um, this this other this new kid and, and the kids like, you know, little, little shit. And there's a con and eventually the kid ends up dying because he, you know, he, he realizes the error is ways and sacrifices himself. You know, the typical story, but he teams up with the teen Titans and it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's Bob Haney writing it, but it's, it's absolutely gorgeous artwork um, for a, for a group that started out with like, you know, those sort of zany, goofy teenage adventures in the first, in their first run. Um, and, and the kid, the kid's irritating. He's a little snot. Um, he's no Danny chase, so we can give him that, but no, really, I, I think I just, I, I love, I love flipping. I don't really care what the story is about. <laughs> just, just looking through this book of like, um, you know, the only, and honestly, the only person who could draw wonder girl at that, in that era better than Neil Adams was McCarty. So, you know, that's, um, he drew all of these characters really well and it didn't make them look like, teeny bopper goofy he made them he made them look realistic at a time when um, they were often kind of 
I don't know. There's there's something really fun and silly about those early Teen Titans comics, but there's also something very, to use an old word, square at the same time. <laughs> and uh, this was very, very cool. So, um, so yeah, Brave of the Bold 83. Can I say one thing about that Teen Titans story, though, the number 20, the Jericho mm-hmm. story? Because I was looking through the story online when you suggested it and the splash page right where it's got the credits and it's Mm -hmm. i don't know who it is but it's somebody looking at like a bank of monitors like a like a sea of like 20 monitors as someone comes in uh in a doorway and you like you know is alerting them and it's and it's one of those things that like what a potentially boring image right because it's just a guy sitting in front of a bank of monitors and someone Mm -hmm. coming in and yet the Neil tilts the camera and with the dramatic lighting, like it's an incredibly arresting image for yeah. what for a lot of other artists might've made it look very dull, but man, you're like, wow, this is, this is really exciting. Whatever's about to happen. And that that's Neil's storytelling. You know I mean? It's funny. We're right now, we're only talking about covers, but I mean, good mm-hmm. Lord, the guy also drew how many interior pages of yeah. comics, you know, and we'll talk about that when we get to kind of the innovator uh, section, but I mean, man, the guy, you know, the guy drew lots of insides of comics, and I was just looking at that splash page. I'm like, wow, that's you really yeah. put a lot of thought into that, you know? <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So, um, and I agree with the Teen Titans; like, they look like young adults. Mm-hmm. They don't look like shrunken versions of superheroes. They look like young adults with young adult bodies wearing superhero costumes. So yeah, it's uh, again, another uh, great yeah. thing. So, I, I think, I think that's what made him one of the very few artists who could draw the older Dick Grayson Robin and make it look really, really good. There's like a handful who could do that. And it was like him and Perez and, and like Marshall Rogers and, and Dick Giordano and like a couple other people. But for the most part, you know, that was hard for people to pull off. People tended to draw it didn't the costume never looked exactly right and yet neil could do that with that costume so i have to give him credit for that too yeah he could draw the pissed off robin on the back of that power record you yes know? he could he could draw the dead robin on the cover of the, yeah. there you go um so okay uh i went with another dc book again i had so many to pick from and it it kills me because as i'm running out of picks i'm like i'm leaving this one out i'm leaving this one. but i went with weird western tales number 15 mm. now once again gigantic logo. I don't know what what is up with DC and the logos in the early 70s. They were just killing it with these 25-point logos. But it's an <laughs> El Diablo cover. And he's in the foreground and he is uh, he's got his he's got his six-shooter out and he's heading into this blue moody uh, night sky and in the background are three gunmen and there's like a little wanted poster says wanted El Diablo dead. And it it's such just a wonderfully moody image and you know i'm sure western comics were still pretty popular in the early 70s but they were definitely on their way out and i mean the interior story was drawn by neil adams as well but i mean man again it's like i defy any kid if you saw this image not to want to plunk down 20 cents for this comic because it's just and i love the way that the three figures in the background are slightly faded because they're kind of in a like a um there's like a uh, like a fog bank between him and them and El Diablo, and it's just a great great image of again not not a super famous character, and uh, you know I, again I'm sure that Neil Adams was busy with lots of assignments, and yet he still had time to do like El Diablo, you know, <laughs> which I don't know that might have been something he wanted to do because I would imagine DC was not gonna like. You know, I'm gonna have Neil Adams draw Western titles. Get him on Batman or whatever. But uh, but man, it just looks so 
absolutely so cool. I just love the image. And it was one of the ones that um, I think I'd seen it years ago, with just looking at covers at one point. But man, we're looking at it again. I was like, that's just a gorgeous, gorgeous image. So I, was just, I just love it. One of my, immediately one of my favorites of his. So, um, all right, Chris, I guess this is uh, the, you know, sort of the last round. What's your, your fifth pick? You know, I, I was going to maybe go with something that wasn't Batman, but I'm like, no, nah, I got to go with something. Batman. <laughs> I'm going to go with the classic Stone Cold classic Batman number 237, Night of the Reaper. Uh, that's a wonderful <laughs> cover. Uh, that's, you know, that's the Grim Reaper with his scythe. He's, he's, he's swinging at Robin. Batman's uh, coming up behind him. And, and I first read this story. It reprinted in uh, the Best of DC Digest that was Batman family themed. Um, and so tied it into uh, Paul's show. Uh, but I actually, other than, um, you know, those tempo, that tempo uh, paperback I mentioned, I hadn't seen a lot of interior Adams artwork, um, you know, in my early comic reading years, because it, again, he was, he kind of had left comics uh, he was still doing a lot of merchandise in the late seventies, but, and he did a few special things, but he wasn't doing new stories and there wasn't, uh, the reprints kind of started to dry up for a while too. So, um, the digest eventually got around to some of them, but, uh, this story was reprinted in that digest. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful story. I mean, it's a, it's a great Halloween story. It's set at, uh, in that Rutland, Vermont with Tom <laughs> Fagan, who's a real guy who had a real, a real Halloween party that comic creators came dressed up as, you know, and, and they did multiple comic stories set there. Uh, and I'm sure there's lots of stories that comic creators won't tell about what happened in Rutland, Vermont, uh, because it sounds like, <laughs> um, but uh, maybe one of these days they'll, they'll come clean. Uh, uh, but um, you know, just about every famous comic creator you can think of back then uh, was in that town at those parties at Tom Fagan's house. But it's also, a very, you know, poignant uh, Holocaust survivor story too, which is yep. amazing. Of course, written by Denny O'Neill. Um, and it's just, it, it's one of the, it's one of the greatest Batman stories period. I don't know why it's not in the greatest Batman stories ever told. I guess they're like, well, we can't put every O'Neill and Adam story in this book. Uh, <laughs> so we got to, you yeah. got to pick, you know, but it should be because it's just, uh, it's, it's just wonderful. It's, it's, and and it gives uh, like uh, Tom brought up earlier, it gives Adams a chance to draw a lot of Robin, uh, a lot of his yeah. very old, older, capable, very capable Robin, uh, and his comic uh, writer creator friends like uh, Jerry Conway and and Bernie Rikeson and and uh, Alan Weiss, who are his uh, college roommates that are running around with Dick Grayson. So that's fun too. <laughs> Chris, that's awesome. That's an awesome pick. You, you, you saved the dilemma for me. I had two, I really wanted to cover and that was one of the two. So, um, oh. a bonus, bonus, uh, thing I, I, I get to, but yeah, I mean, I, I first read that story in the best of DC treasury that, um, uh, Rob and I actually covered when I was on treasury cast and it's yep. in that story too. And or in that book too. And, uh, that's got just some great sequences and a lot of Robin action is in, in there too. So that, yeah, that is a great pick by you. Absolutely. So, all right, Paul, what's your uh, last pick? So, um, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to leave the obvious for you, Rob. Um, but I'm going to go with DC special series number one. So this is another, uh, group shot. 
Uh, this is the five star superhero spectacular. Um, I, I don't know why I was so excited when this book came out. So this came out in 1977. So I would have been 12 and I definitely knew it was coming. You know, it's got five fabulous, all new epics. Um, you know, he didn't do any of the uh, stories inside. I think the, the Batman story was the wrap up of the Cobra series. And I think Mike Nasser did that, that story. Mike yes. Really so, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but, the cover, you've got Batman and Aquaman uh, running towards you, Green Lantern in the middle, flying up, and the Flash zooming around along with the Atom. Just a fantastic with their heads, you know, in stars, uh, circling the logo. Uh, just, just, you know, this was the era of these uh, giants. You know, these dollar comics are just, you know, I've, I've got a soft spot for anthologies all around and themed uh, anthologies, dollar comics. All those were just just part of my childhood that I really, really enjoy. And this is, this is just a great cover that screams, you know, Hey, if you like any of these heroes, I mean, the flash story in particular is great. They're all, they're all great stories in there and just a fabulous uh, cover by Neil to to make you want to buy this comic. Completely. Yeah. Uh, Aquaman drawn by a lot of great artists, but man, he really, I loved it when Neil drew him. <laughs> it yeah, just looks yeah. so, so good. Yeah. So, all right, uh, yeah. Tom, last pick. Um, I, you know, when I was talking about my, how I first spotted Neil Adams, I sort of misspoke. I was talking about how, when I recognized the name, but looking at this cover, I'm like, Oh yes. So back in 1988, the American history museum on the Smithsonian, the National Mall in D.C., had an exhibit called Superman, Many Lives, Many Worlds. Mike Bailey is nodding along with me as I talk about this. And it was just this whole exhibit of Superman for his 50th anniversary. And they had a poster that you could get. And I used to have the poster. And on the poster was Superman busting through the center of it with a cover gallery behind it. And there were a couple of Neil Adams covers on there. I did not realize it was one of his until years and years later. But this one always stuck out at me. It was one that I had coveted for years, and I finally picked it up a few months ago my LCS for a couple of bucks, a beat-up copy. But it's Superman number 317. Superman has his fists clenched. He's screaming. He's tinted green, and he's saying, in seconds, the kryptonite implanted in my body will kill me, but before I die, I'm taking you with me. It's so freaking cool the interior artist uh kurt swan and um dan adkins and uh just a little bit of dc trivia peter sanderson has a letter in the letter column but the but this cover was on that poster and for years and years and years i could just never find this in in a comic shop and and i finally got it about a a few months ago and unfortunately he passed he's passed away because he usually shows up at the baltimore comic-con and um, I was going to plunk down the money to get this sign, even if it is a little bit uh, worse for wear. But yeah, this is just, it's just, it's such a striking cover. This is like, had I been a kid and seen this at like the stationery store that I used to go to to get comics before, you know, or, or, or a comic book shop um, back, you know, uh, I would have like snatched this sucker up. It's, it's so cool. I love that the that word balloons great. are in green. Yeah, yeah. That's a great cover, Tom. That's a great yeah. cover. Yeah, that is a terrifying Superman. It is. Yeah. I think that's what struck me about it because, like, Kryptonite Nevermore was on that poster and a couple others, and some Jerry Ordway and John Byrne covers, and, and many, many Kurt Swan stuff. But this was just like, it, it just, you could never not see it. And then, yeah, and he's just like, the musculature and everything, it's just like he's bursting out of that suit and he's just like ready to just 
pound somebody. Um, and I believe it's Metallo. So, <laughs> oh, that that cover. I mean, we brought up a lot. I don't think anybody could could draw anguish better than Neil Adams. Mm-hmm. Mm, good, good one. That's a running theme on a lot of these covers and a lot of these. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, I know exactly the one you're talking about, Tom. That is, I I don't own that comic, but I want it too. But just be just for that cover because I think I remember. I think that may have briefly shown up in either you're talking about the 50th anniversary. It was either on one of the news outlets' coverage of you know brief little you know fluff piece about Superman's 50th anniversary, or maybe even possibly flashed up on the Superman 50th anniversary TV special that Rob knows I'm semi-upset kind <laughs> of have a love-hate relationship with. Um, I remember the, that one. The I've Lorne Michaels that. produced Superman yes. 50th anniversary. Yes, with, hosted by Dana Carvey, yes. Dana Carvey, uh, yes. Yes, but I, I think it may have flashed up briefly because I mean, man, why is Superman so mad? You know? <laughs> oh. is, this, is this the only time I can think of this cover where the DC bullet and the Superman logo are in black and white? I can't think of another mm. time where I've ever saw that. Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, I've never yeah. thought of that. Yeah, I never noticed that. I feel yeah. like that was a Neil Adams touch. You know, he's like, "Look, just you're you're going to lessen the image if you if you color the logo, so make it black and white. That'll really <laughs> make Superman pop." And they're probably like, "No, you can't do that. Trust me, trust me, trust me." Um, <laughs> so, uh, all right. So my last pick, and it, as much as I love this cover, it broke my heart because it meant that I was not picking any of his Phantom Stranger covers which are brilliant. Everyone knows I love that series. None of his House of Mystery covers. By the way, if you go look at all, any of his House of Mystery covers, any of his horror covers virtually, it's children in jeopardy. I don't know what that's a theme. It's always children that are going to get it. I don't know if there's something about that, but that seems to be a common theme. But yeah, none of the, like none of his Adam Strange covers. Like I had to leave out so much just to kind of limit this down, but I really wanted to get to, at least another company. And uh, not only am I not even doing Marvel, I'm going to Atlas Seaboard. Ooh. The, the late lamented, Ooh. briefly existing Atlas Seaboard. And not only did they do color comics, but they had a black and white line of magazines because everybody did in the 70s, except for DC. By the way, DC should have done a line of black and white magazines because they could have done a Batman magazine drawn by Neil Adams. Just saying. Uh, but uh, yeah, but but anyway, uh, Atlas had this uh, anthology called Thrilling Adventure Stories. It only lasted two issues, and it features an amazing panoply of talent in these mag. I mean, as anyone who doesn't know about uh, about Atlas Seaboard, they were a startup company started by what was it, Martin Goodman? Chris, was that what it was? It was yeah. Um, because it was it was meant to be a, a you know he had been kind of shunted out of Marvel and it was kind of an fu to Marvel yeah. he's going to start his own company and he was getting, and he's paying artists like double rates so therefore he was able to get some really really top talent for all of his uh, magazine all of his comics some of which the concepts were a little dicey uh, but the art was always across the board great so anyway thrilling adventure stories number two features. Uh, I just want to give you a list of the, the people doing the interior stories, right? Artist-wise, the stories are by Walt Simonson, Jack Sparling, Russ Heath, John Severin, and Alex Toth. That's <laughs> Thrilling Adventure Stories, number two. And the cover is painted by Neil Adams. Yeah. And it features this kind of like caveman-looking dude and a woman who's like right out of like uh, at one million years B.C., 
And then there's like this gigantic saber tooth tiger slash bear kind of creature from your nightmares descending upon them. And in the foreground, there's a wolf about to eat them. So it's a very conan image. Um, but it looks like an old-timey pulp cover. And that's exactly what they were going for with this this thing. And, I mean, Thrilling Adventure Stories number two is like, I've seen Atlas fans say it's one of the like single greatest comics ever made because of the talent involved in it. And I would, I would be hard-pressed to argue that. But the cover by Neil is so fun, not superheroes. It's, you know, savage swords, sorcery kind of thing. And it's just, you could totally see it on a paperback around this time. It's mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic. It's one of my favorite Neil Adams images, even though it's even like one of his lesser famous ones. So um, Rob, that is a, that is a cool, I, I mean, I just looked at it and, and I did, was not aware of this one and never seen it before. This is a uh, really cool pull by you. Very, very it's, cool. It's yeah. crazy good. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in Atlas Seaborn. and there's a lot of crap, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but there was a lot the of good stuff too. The yeah. Brute. <laughs> the brute, yeah, the brute, you know. I mean, there's some crazy stuff Iron in there. But jaw. Yeah, Iron Jaw. Iron Jaw. He did a cover for Iron Jaw. He, he did. did. He, he did, did the cover. cover for number one. You, when, you said, be, when you said Atlas Seaboard, I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> you might be fooled into thinking Iron Jaw was a good comic if you look at that cover, you know? Yeah, I'm, so, I'm looking at it now. That's like, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing looking. And I didn't mention, like, so, okay. Why don't we, before we move on to the innovator section, and because that'll be a lot briefer, and we'll talk about the the creator right stuff because we do want to get to that and we don't want the show to go on too long like let me do we'll just do kind of if if each of you want to just do a couple of like uh you know honorable mentions like just a couple of quick like all right this this and this one uh because i just feel like and it's five seems so uh limiting so i will start i'll do reverse since i brought it up uh right on the air here uh like i mentioned the you know the phantom stranger covers are unbelievable unbelievably good a lot of them they had nothing to do with the interior story uh but uh man they are they are incredibly powerful images his cover to the power record for conan crawler in the mists mm-hmm. that is i don't know if anyone has not heard that um did we do that one yet chris Around yeah the we, did. we did we must have um yep. that is a genuinely creepy story like yes. genuinely creepy and you're like wow and the guy that they got to play conan has this perfect voice. And to me, it's like, that's what Conan is. Not so much even all Schwarzenegger. And this yeah. cover that Neil drew of this creepy Cthulhu monster crawling up and grabbing Conan and Conan's like got a giant rock or something. Absolutely fantastic. Again, Neil had a run of GI Joe, GI combat covers, which were marvelous. The best of DC digest wraparound treasury cover, which Paul, you and I covered where Superman is holding all these great DC comics and it's like sort of the best of that's an amazing series of images. Um, he did some Marvel magazine work, uh, which is uh, you know, unbelievably good. So, I mean, just, I, I and, and Superman versus Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for God's sakes. Rob, I was shocked that that wasn't your last pick. That's I, what I, I, I said. I, I'll let Rob have the obvious one because that is just unbelievable. I <laughs> None could of us not, picked it. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most iconic images of all time. And I know I've told this story on other shows, and I'm sorry I don't mean to get this in there, but I can remember when I had my interview with Joe Kubert at, at the first time at his school, I did not know that Joe Kubert drew the original cover to Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And so I walked into Joe's office and there's the original on the wall in a case. And I'm like, what? You know, what? 
And, you know, <laughs> Joe's talking to me and he's terrifying because he's got these giant hands and he's looking at my crappy artwork and whatever. And he's deciding my future. And all I could do was look over his shoulder at this cover because I just <laughs> didn't know that there would have been an alternate version. And as much as I love Joe Kubert, if you ever see the Joe Kubert original, it's like it looks like a 1950s boxer film where like everybody's all sweaty and miserable. Mm. Neil, Neil Adams was clearly the right pick because <laughs> yeah. it's, it has the bombast of Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And of course it's the wraparound, but it has like all these famous people on it. Neil was great at drawing likenesses. We know that. And it features famous people from the time. I mean, you got Johnny Carson attending this thing and like the Osmonds. I think the Beatles are on that cover. Jimmy president, Jimmy Carter, is there i mean it's just un it is one and it's been repurposed over and over and i even think they got neil to do a gloss on it for espn magazine where they did a cover of muhammad ali boxing michael jordan yeah it was like the two athletes of the century and they got neil to do it so i mean they got him to do his own parody so so those are some of my you know sort of like honorable mentions so let me start with you tom we'll go backwards tom what do you have a couple just of honorable mentions um Scrolling through the Mike's Amazing World thing, two that are right. I've got, I think, like three. Um, Action Comics number 419. That's the Neil Adams Murphy Anderson cover of Superman flying at us. The Metropolis is in the background. It looks like it's, it must be a photograph or something, or it looks like it was a photograph, completely awesome. black and white. And he's just flying off the page. I mean, again, just. Um, I don't, I don't like, I use the word iconic very often, but it's, it's one of many iconic Neil Adams Superman images. Uh, the one right next to it is a forbidden tales of dark mansion cover number nine. And it's, um, one guy in a pith helmet with three natives standing around him looking, he's looking in horror. And, um, there's a woman that you see the back of a blonde woman's head. And she says, did the witch doctor's magic work? Am I beautiful? Probably not appropriate for nowadays, but it's a really striking classic, like horror cover. Um, I think I'm credit for um, scrolling down. There were two more. Uh, well, if you look at Star Reach number two, there's boobs. Um, <laughs> it's like, wait a second, boobs. GI Combat number 202. Neil Adams inked by Russ Heath. Whoa. And the Haunted Tank. And there's three guys in the Haunted Tank. Those planes are murdering us, fire, fire, and they're firing off the front of the cover. Behind them, you see the uh, the strafing from the plane and just people just going down, you know, as you go off into up to the upper right in the distance. And it's it's a great, great war comic cover. Um, it's just amazing how he could draw across um, all of these different genres um you know and i know a lot of artists are are, are that versatile because they have you know many times out of necessity but he just excelled at it you know you guys have brought up sci-fi we brought up superheroes obviously in horror we've got war here and he even has you know the the girls love issue here and there sword and sorcery i mean all of this is is amazing and it's it's really impressive the way he he could just adapt to any anything that he was given and just make it look um make it look like a neil adams cover yet make it look like it should look too if that if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. Um, yeah Yeah, that makes sense (laughs) yeah 
All right, Paul, what do you have a couple of honorable well, I, mentions? Yeah, I mean, we didn't even talk about, like, his Flash covers. He's got these great ones. Mm-hmm. Like Flash, Earth 1 and Earth 2 Flash. I'm looking, happened to look at just, like, 215 here. One of my favorite comics, again, when I was a kid that I read the heck out of was Superman 252. Got all the heroes. It's a wraparound cover. All the heroes oh, yeah. flying forward in the yellow, sort of yellowish background. Man, is that an awesome cover. And we didn't even talk about some of his most seminal stuff, like the Joker's five-way revenge and the return of Two-Face oh, and <laughs> other stuff. You know, Super Team Family number two. I mean, for God's sakes, let alone is, I mean, I think, you know, I don't know. It's just amazing. Another real quick, one of my favorite is, um, it's Batman. I'm looking at it. It's number 241. I'm looking at my copy here, and it's awesome. When I looked it up earlier today, it's just got Batman. He's leaping off a rooftop towards us with his cape sort of flowing back. And I didn't even realize, but it's inked by uh, Bernie Wrightson. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, pretty cool. And then last but not least, I will put a plug in uh, for the two volumes of The Art of Neil Adams, which are sketchbooks that he put out in the 70s. And the first one has uh, the DC heroes on the right and the Marvel heroes on the left, separated by Atomic Mouse. Uh, you know, it's one of these great covers where the heroes are coming at each other. But then volume two, you've got Batman and Superman and Hulk and Wonder Woman and Spider-Man. They're all searching around the rubble looking for Atomic Mouse because he stopped them from fighting last time. So <laughs> great covers that, you know, put, put, put together. And there's a lot of his, like, advertising work and other kinds of things in these, in these volumes. But they are pretty neat, um, pretty neat covers to, to end it on for me. Can I tell you that's that image of Superman flying on Superman number 252 with his arms yes. stretched out? That was on a hairbrush that I had for decades. Well, back when I had cool. hair, I used to have hair at a certain point, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was just a white hairbrush and they just took that image and oh, I had it cool. for literally decades. It was that, yeah, that was like, cool. it was just that shot of, of Superman oh, flying. Cool. Drawn yeah. by I mean, we didn't talk about this world's finest <laughs> covers. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so hard. I mean, it's ridiculous. unbelievable. Yeah. I, you know, Paul, um, on I have I found this on my Instagram. Um, I about six months a year ago, I was in my local Goodwill, and I found one of those, you know, those those room those those three panel things. You kind of f- try fold them they, to help separate like an area of a room. Maybe you change behind them, like you yeah, know, in a little movie. The front of it was that Batman cover number two forty one. The back no of it way. was yeah. The back of it was. Detective Comics number um, three ninety five. I offer you instant immortality or instant death. Choose Batman now, and he's like recoiling oh. as this woman says, "Yeah, it was oh. already. It was. It had a sticker on. It was claimed, or, or else I would have. I have nowhere to put it <laughs> in my house, but I would have picked it up. But it was just like holy crap! And when it's, I saw that, I'm like, if I, yeah. So that was. I don't know cool. who made that or who manufactured it and why it ended up in a goodwill of all places, but yeah, I just wanted to mention that because that the, is, that is one of those covers. Was yeah. the person who claimed it the same person who got that Batman treasury out before you too? <laughs> Probably. Like one this step person, ahead this, at all times. I'm, I'm chasing this dragon. Man. I don't know. <laughs> all right, Chris, take us home with some, some of your honorable mentions. Okay. I, I think it was Paul mentioned some flash covers. He did. There's one flash cover. I don't have this comment but it always pops out to me. It's Flash number 203. Uh, this is, it, it's, a, it's a comic drawing of Flash pulling his wife, Iris. She's, she's moving into the future. She's got this crazy, I don't know, like it's like a cellophane outfit with like rings around it because Iris like actually is from the future. That's revealed, you know. Uh, maybe that's, this is when it's revealed. I don't know if it was revealed earlier. This is where we find this out. But 
the, the cool thing about it is, is that there's a photo background, which, you know, Adams would sometimes use photo collage, like that Superman cover uh, that Tom was talking about. And, and there's this guy, this real human being that's like, looking at flash like a oh, what's going on and he's like walking up behind them and and it's the coloring's kind of weird but this is again adam's like pushing the envelope of what a comic cover can look like it's just so bizarre i just i you know i'm sure the the, the comic does not live up to the cover i mean no offense to anybody it, it involved with it but it's uh, it's probably, you know, not going to be this great, but that's <laughs> one that always pops out at me. Um, another thing, choice, uh, Chris. Oh, yeah. that's if, the if kind of thing. On, yeah, that's awesome. right. That's it. Yeah. If if you look at, um, if you look at my, uh, uh, right at the moment, it'll probably change by then, but my Facebook profile right now, I've got a image of Batman and Robin. that's from a puzzle that I've had for several years. It was from 1973, um, so it's a little early for Adams to be drawing merchandise, but here he is. And it's, it's a, it's an original image. Uh, Robin's at the wheel of the Batmobile, but he's standing up, uh, and they're approaching Batman and Robin are approaching these two hooded gunmen, one who has a machine gun and Batman's leaping from the passenger side at them. And it almost looks like Batman's going to die. But if you, if you look close for Batman, is in between their gunfire. So he's like moving in between them. And it's just this perfect kinetic image. And it's so moody and evocative. And it's, I mean, these guys are like, like dangerous criminals. This isn't, this isn't Burgess Meredith as the penguin, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's like a, a stark contrast to probably like every other piece of Batman merchandise out in 1973, you know? Uh, so that, that's another great one. Another, something I want to bring up cause I never brought up anything Marvel is Neil did, uh, you know, power records for a few power records items, uh, that had Marvel characters and he did a, a Spider-Man, uh, little 45, or maybe it was a small, uh, L, I can't remember, but, uh, cause I don't have the record. I just have the sleeve, but it was one called the conquistador. Uh, and it's Spider-Man swinging toward, uh, this guy dressed like a Spanish conquistador. Uh, but it, it's one of the few chances you'll ever get to see Neil Adams draw Spider-Man, and he looks great. He spots a lot of blacks on his costume, so it's more like an early Steve Ditko Spider-Man in that regards. It's not very John Romita. It's, it's very much a Neil Adams interpretation of Spider-Man. Uh, and speaking of Spider-Man, I'll just mention one more thing because I have to. Again, back to Mego. There is the box art for the infamous Mego comic action heroes Mangler. And Rob knows what the Mangler is. Yes, um, I had it. Yes. The, the Mangler is this odd crocodile alligator <laughs> Zamboni machine uh, that, that, that you, it shows Spider-Man on the front, punching the green goblin into the maw of this mechanical <laughs> alligator. And then on the sides of the box, you see, him confront the Green Goblin, then you go to the image where he punches him. And then after the Green Goblin is knocked into the box, into the mangler, you see a a thin cardboard <laughs> Green Goblin come out. Like the Green Goblin has been flattened. So it shows Spider-Man murdering the Green Goblin on the box <laughs> this tour. It, it's it's <laughs> wonderful. 
It's surreal. It's insane. I go to MigoMuseum.com and look it up if you haven't seen it before. And and the toy actually came with a little flattened green goblin that you sure did. Yeah. So it it I don't own it. I know Rob did. It, it, but I, one of these days I need to. But I I think as much as I'd love the toy, the box is just it's just insane because you got the super realistic art of Neil Adams and yet he's the green goblin comes out like he's literally been run over by a steamroller. So <laughs> it's like uh, Kevin Bacon in uh, animal house, you know, all is yeah. well. And then he's just a flat character on the ground. Yeah. I, there's right. a picture of me in the, in the family photo album of Christmas morning and I'm holding up my mangler and I'm very proud of it. I, I love that toy. I absolutely love that toy. It's absolutely great. So, man, those are all, oh my God, again, we only scratched the surface of, I know. of all the stuff that the guy did. So, okay, we, we have to kind of wrap up a little just because we've already been going on a while, but I do want to get into two other, you know, aspects of the man's career. First of all, as a, as an innovator, just as, as a guy that brought a new, you know, kind of look to comics, look to superhero comics specifically. Um, I know, I mean, Chris, can you tell the story a little bit about how he was kind of the first guy to do the, the double page spread that was not the centerfold of the comic? Yeah. I mean, he, it's another thing that he had to argue with production. <laughs> they didn't believe it could be done, you know, and, and he's like, no, you, you can do it. Just make sure you butt it up correctly. And, and I'll draw it this way. And, and if you, sh- yeah, it'll, it'll be fine. And, and he had to like fight tooth and nail to get them to do it. I mean, they, they very rarely would wanted to do it in the center. You know, I mean, people <laughs> like, Kirby and Steranko were kind of pushing that envelope too. But uh, yeah, I mean, Adams was, you know, again, he was the people, the production guys at DC probably really hated Neil Adams. I'm just talking. (laughs) They they probably had ulcers named Neil Adams. They probably did. (laughs) Yeah. He was big on like, look, you could just line it up with the production marks, you know? And, and he was really the first guy that said no no you can do double page spreads across 2 and 3 5 and 6 it doesn't have to be in the in the center of the book uh and you talked a little bit about you know the the coloring that his covers would get they would get kind of moody or dark a little and it didn't have to be such primary colors but also just i mean we haven't really even talked hardly at all about his interior work which was just absolutely amazing there's that famous dead man page where dead man is talking to ramakushna mm-hmm. and He's in yeah. this dreamlike state, and we see that all these pieces of like weird archi- not architecture, but kind of like rock formations. And if you look at it as a whole page, you see that the whole, the all the rock formations form Dead Man's face. But if you look yeah. at it from panel to panel, you don't notice it. And so it's like, wow, this page is constructed. And again, like you were saying, uh, Chris, like the production artist must have hated him because like you can't reprint that page unless you just do the full page. You know, yeah. you can't like have it. You can't, you can't stick an ad in the bottom. You know, it's like, no, it has to be a, a complete thing. And so he was a guy that, I mean, he had worked in newspaper strips. He did the Ben Casey strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he came to comics with like this sort of, uh, you know, graphic artist background, graphic designer background. And was like, hey, guys, we don't have to just stick to the same kind of boring formula. We can do these, take, you know, take advantage of these new printing techniques and get these things to look a little more sophisticated. And it worked because comics kind of started looking different after he came in. And he really did in terms of the, the production end of it, you know. Was, um, and and I, I hesitate to ask a question that I don't know the answer to, but wasn't that X-Men logo where 
was it the Phoenix or some character was stretching up and crushing yeah. the logo? Wasn't that the first time that, that, it's, uh, go ahead, Tom. Uh, no, no, go ahead. Go, yeah. No, I, I, in fact, I, I found it right in front of me. Um, yeah. Burn was, um, homaging, uh, X-Men 56, which was, I was just about to ask is like, was, was Neil Adams the first person to have a character mess with the logo? Cause it's, <laughs> what is the power and this guy, it's the same pose as Dark Phoenix. It's like yeah. he's not cracking the yeah. logo. Yeah, yeah. I forget what the name of the character was. The, the Sphinx, maybe, is who it was. Yeah, it's not Phoenix. Like not yeah. the Phoenix, the Sphinx. And, yeah. yeah, and he's he's going up and crashing the logo. So that was pretty cool. I mean, when I think of Innovator, Rob, you know, I, I think of, you know, creating of characters, right? And and he had some good ones, right? We talked about Jon Stewart and, and Man Bad and Ra's al Ghul and Talia. But... You know, none, you know, that, that's, I mean, there's plenty of people who created more characters, but if you think about who he revamped, revamped the Joker and Two-Face, Green mm-hmm. Lantern and Green Arrow, including Green Arrow's new costume, uh, Dead, Dead Man, he didn't invent, even though he took over the second one. I mean, he just made them all cooler and immediately more exciting. And to me, that's, that's pretty innovative right there, you know, and, and uh, I, I don't know, that's what I think of. Um, let alone the Earth 2 Robin costume and then the Tim Drake Robin costume. Yes, yes. <laughs> is that, isn't that like your favorite costume, Chris? Or am I wrong about that? Your yeah, favorite, the that Earth, Earth 2, 2 Robin, Robin costume he created, yeah. Uh, but, sorry if I stole your thunder there. Oh, oh no, no, no. I was, I, you know, no. I, uh, you know, it's, he never got to really draw it. He just, he got to design it and Dick Dillon yeah. drew it, you know. But, uh, yeah. yeah, he drew the covers for those yeah. issues. But they, yeah. they're not on the cover, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that's another thing. I mean, just he, uh, yeah, the, I mean, just Rachel Ghoul. I mean, the look of that character. You know, the the fact mm-hmm. that he found a face that, you know, he, he. I remember reading an interview with him where he's like he he had he had been looking for like the face of a villain. Like what what could you know, what would this guy look like? And he had, he had like, you know, through photographs and, and different sketching over the years had come up with this, this face of this evil mastermind. And he had no eyebrows, which if anybody hmm. ever draws race with that, with eyebrows are wrong. Okay. He doesn't have, <laughs> eyebrows. That's, that's, that's the way it's supposed to look. Right. And I mean, it's, uh, you know, just instantly that, that visual. And I mean, yeah, there's, there's a slight little bit of, Fu Manchu, you know, in, in race with his, you know, whiskers and everything like that. But I mean, you know, obviously, you know, that character has stuck and, and John Stewart, I mean, you know, I, I joked with uh, when Paul said he was going to do uh, the in-stock trades about John Stewart. I said, never heard of him. And I do JLU cast. So, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and obviously, you know, to a generation of fans, uh, thanks to Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, John Stewart is Green Lantern, period. Yeah. Who's Al Jordan? Who's this white guy? He's not Green Lantern, you know. Uh, and and Neil was ahead. Of, he, you know, he he it was his idea. Like, like Paul said, it was his idea to 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 bring in John Stewart. But you know, we already had Guy Gardner as a replacement Green Lantern. We don't need another white guy. We need you know, let's let's. And DC had dropped the ball in in having a black superhero with the story that uh, Marv Wolfman, uh, you know, had written. And I think Lynn Wein may have been involved in that too, if I remember right. Mm, and, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, right. and, and I, if I, if I remember right, like Neil kind of came in and salvaged that story to help Marv and Lynn from basically not being blackballed in comics mm-hmm. because 
they were going to take the fall for that because it had got approved, but then they got wind that, you know, you know, a bunch of racist a-holes in the South wouldn't like that there's a black character in this comic. Um, so DC killed it and, you know, they were going to take the rap for it basically. And Neil said, well, you know, I'll, I'll smooth things over by saying I'll take care of it because he was already, you know, the, you know, the, the golden boy at DC at that time. Yeah, he had the um, influence to be able to do it. And those guys were, were like 19. They were kids. Yeah. They were yeah. just kids. And, and, and uh, so he, you know, he saved their bacon, you know, basically by yep. kind of just smoothing over the problem, you know, yep. Oh, well, we yep. got Neil Adams. So it turned out. Okay. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> with, with comics, uh, at least the characters in comics have just completely taken over the culture now. It's hard to imagine a time that when comics were such an insulated, insular little world and they were kind of done by the same 40 to 50 men with maybe two women just for not for decades. And then here's this young punk coming in saying, we can make them look better. We can make them look different. And you, you can only imagine the pushback you probably got from some of the old hands. Like you were talking about, you know, crushing the logo. You can't crush the logo. Kids need to see the logo. <laughs> no, no, they'll get it. You they'll know, they'll, try, it. Yeah. Yeah, they'll, they'll understand it. Trust me. You know, that. Yeah, kind I'm of gonna, oh, sorry. No, I just want to say that there was one thing where back in the seventies, when early seventies, when DC and Marvel were doing like the, the price jumping on each other and that was illegal to do because it's basically collusion <laughs> and they said the reason dc marvel got away with it is because the federal government said uh comics are so small it's not even worth bothering <laughs> that's where comics were that they were like yeah we know they're doing something illegal but who really cares because <laughs> comics isn't really worth paying attention nowadays you couldn't get away with it but that's how small comics was were at the time yeah. and here's here's this young guy saying no 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 i'll tell you guys how to do you know double page spreads the right mm -hmm. way and you can imagine these older guys are like who the oh, oh shit here comes adams coming down the hall you know who needs this well you know rob it's funny because he i just read this um and i might have read it before i don't remember but i read it yesterday or today when, when i was reading various articles and he made a comment that when he was starting out there was nobody in comics five to ten years younger and there was nobody in comics only five to ten years older so it was like it was wow. like he was one of the few sort of um, you know, not super young like Wolfman and Len Wein and, and not super old like, you know, the, the, the ones that had been around since the 40s. And so, uh, and then the fact that he got popular, he, you know, he, he was not afraid to use his influence, not afraid to use his, throw his weight around. And uh, that's what I, I find very interesting in terms of the history of, of comics. Absolutely. And that's a perfect segue to kind of our final segment is we got to talk about Neil Adams, uh, the champion for creators' rights. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a guy that uh, put his money where his, where his mouth was. Uh, you know, he was an active vocal support. He wanted to form a comic book union, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, originally there was supposed to be like, what was the, there was going to be like an award ceremony that Stanley wanted to put together. And, you know, apparently Neil Adams showed up and was talking union. And Stanley was like, that's not what we're here for. We're here to give each other rewards. And then, you know, yeah, Neil Adams is like, no, let's form a union because, of course, you know, these were all work for quote unquote work for hire people. And here's Neil trying to get people health insurance and a better, you know, a uh, better standard of pay and a better living and things like that. And, you know, this was had to be because Neil at, at, at a certain point had own, had his own graphic design studio, Continuity Associates, which he did with Dick Giordano. So he had his own kind of career going comics were certainly a big part of it but it wasn't his only thing and so if you know if he had somehow gotten blackballed out of the industry he probably would have been okay but he definitely 
use, as you just mentioned, well, put it, you know, used his weight to get certain things. And I can't imagine any greater accomplishment than what he did for Siegel and Schuster, yep. uh, yeah. particularly. Chris, why don't you tell people, in case they don't know, what he did for, for poor Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster? Oh, well, you know, when the, the you know there was all this talk about the Superman the movie, you know, coming out in in the seventies before it came out, and and Neil Adams, uh, you know, he, he basically went and beat the doors of all media outlets and said, "Hey, did you guys know there's a Superman movie coming out?" And the two creators basically live in poverty. Uh, <laughs> they don't have a byline. They they don't have any kind of compensation uh, from DC Comics and. The ironic thing is, I don't know exactly when, but at some point, Neil Adams was dating Jeanette Kahn. So I don't know if this was happened while he wow. was dating Jeanette well, there Kahn. There you go. Yeah. But, but, uh, but, yeah. So, uh, but, yeah. So, Neil and, and some other creators, Jerry Robinson and a few others, they, they, Jules Pfeiffer. They beat, Jules yeah. Pfeiffer. Yeah. They beat that drum. Uh, but Neil was the most vocal. You know, uh, uh, he was the, he was the mouthpiece for it. And, you know, basically, you know, not only was Neil putting pressure, uh, on DC from everywhere and Warner brothers. Uh, but you know, they probably, I'm sure he hung over their head. Well, I won't do anything for you anymore either. You know? Um, and, and, uh, he got him uh, a pension, uh, and credit from then on. And, uh, the Siegel, especially the Siegel family has been able to, you know, in recent years, um, <laughs> you know, everything that Superman, it now says by special arrangement with the uh, Jerry Siegel family, you know, or the state or whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. it says now. So, I mean, that was the beginning of that because they, they had nothing. I mean, they, they would have, they could have been erased from history if it wasn't for Neil Adams. Yeah. So There's a drawing from around that time of Superman flying and in each arm, he's holding Siegel and, Siegel and Schuster. Yeah, and that's in and, this uh, volume two of the Art of Neil Adams. Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah. This is, yep. Does Superman have the power to save his creators? And uh, it's got him, and you got uh, Joe Schuster, who's who's uh, got his like dark glasses because he had been going blind and was living on food stamps. And uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's that's a great image. Yeah, I said, and that's and I'll, and I'll just mention too the fact that. He was instrumental in helping uh, get Marvel to give uh, Jack Kirby whatever artwork he, they had left back, um, and you know the the uh, you know for years the the big comic publishers were were mostly Marvel. DC had started doing some of it, but but we're we're saying no, no, we own the intellectual property as opposed to we own the artwork, and um, you know they finally uh, got it. Now, of course, uh, artists are able to sell that um in secondary market and a lot of that artwork is is big money oh god it's a fortune now yeah big money i thought it was hilarious that the uh mark wade wrote a nice uh uh remembrance of neil adams um that's on 13thdimension.com and they recently did that fantastic four antithesis series which was pretty good i i gotta say it wasn't bad it was good and and uh Neil, uh, you know, Mark, it, you need to go out and read it. It's, it's great. But, but Neil Adams asked Mark Wade, he said, I, I only got two stipulations. I want to work with you. I'll draw whatever you want. Uh, one, I want one big splash page of Galactus, like eating, getting ready to eat the earth because I know I can sell it uh, for a lot of money. <laughs> and then I also want a big splash page of him and the Silver Surfer together because I can sell that for a lot of money. And Mark's like, you got it, you know, and uh, that's the thing. Neil Adams knew the value. And I, and I know, you know, if you've been to comic conventions, you know, Neil Adams charged for autographs. I've heard people mm-hmm. oh, he can't really charge, but you know what? Think about this guys. 
Joe Schmo, who was in one episode of The Walking Dead as a zombie, will charge you $20 or $30 for an autograph. Isn't Neil Adams' signature on your comic book worth $20 or $30? Hell yeah, it is. Yeah. So, you know, these, these, I mean, yeah, yeah, these, I mean, nothing against cosplayers or anything like that, but if cosplayers are freaking signing, making, charging you this, you know, sign stuff, then let one of the, like, I mean, top two comic artists of all time, Neil Adams and Jack Kirby are probably the two top, at least superhero comic artists of all time. And so, you know, let, let that, you know, give that guy 20 bucks or whatever it was to sign your comic book. You know, I mean, I, I met Neil Adams and got him to sign some of my stuff. And he, he signed a poster print of the Tim Drake poster that Tom mentioned earlier for my son, Andrew, fill up in his room, you know, so it's very great. 20 minutes yeah i'm with yeah. you chris the uh the you know he was the first person i saw ever to sign at conventions and um i did get him once i think for i think it was 50 bucks to sign three things I, he's signed my copy of superman versus muhammad ali and i have a mm-hmm. batman print here in my comic book room and then my son i got him a green lantern print that it, that neil signed to him and um you know and now you know it's commonplace you know good for them they, they gotta earn a living i got no no qualms with that yeah, yeah, he um there's stories of him just like walking away from projects that would have um been big if he because he couldn't get somebody to give him the contract that he wanted. Like there's um the story that I remember off the top of my head was the X-Men graphic novel uh God Loves Man Kills was he drew like six or seven pages of it, but then Sh- Jim Shooter would not give him anything more than, you know, work for hire and he was like no and he walked away. So the fact that he you know, he was standing up for the rights of 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 the people who worked there, and he was standing. You know, and and himself as a creator. You know, years and years before Image, by the way, just to right. to point that out, because you know, having come of age in the nineties, um, in and starting com- to collecting comics like just a couple of years before the before the debut of Image, and that's when I, all I heard, all you heard about in like Wizard was you know, creator owned this and that and stuff like that. Like, you know, he was, he was really a pioneer in that, in that whole regard. And, and, you know, um, I have one signature from him. I, I have a, a book that was published in about like, like 2010, 2011 called leaping tall buildings. And it has a series of interviews with different comic creators. So I've had several creators sign it, uh, their their profile pages and nice. so he signed that page for me, which was which was really really cool and um, awesome. Yeah, um, <laughs> he he he's like, can you leave it with me? I have to go run to the restroom because apparently he'd been doing sit ups and had a dinner. So basically, I I got Neil Adams. Um, couldn't talk to him for too long because he had to, you know. So that was that's my meeting Neil Adams story. It's not as not as funny as some other people's because apparently he was really, really good for a, for a conversation and, 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 and could, and could talk, um, which, which a number of comics creators can do that. They're, they're, they're all, a lot of them are really, really good for, <laughs> for a good talk when, when you catch them at the right time sometimes. But, uh, but yeah, so no, but his, his ability to just his standing up for and, and, and understanding like his place how he had earned that place and that clout and using it for you know as cliche as it sounds using that power for good Mm -hmm. um you know uh as somebody who (laughs) 
as somebody who is who is in a in a teachers union where we're on the verge of actually getting collective bargaining rights, I can really, really appreciate that at this very, very moment. <laughs> I didn't know that about God Loves Me and Kills. I'd never heard that. That's really interesting. That he was yeah, it was a, a fact I found out when, when Stella and I covered it um, uh, a number of years ago on, on Required Reading. Oh, that's so really Brent cool. Anderson's very much in the Adam School. So mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yes, yeah, I mean, I uh, oh, go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. I was just going to bring this up real quick. When when Andrew and I met Neil Adams and, and got to talk to him for quite a while, what he was really talking to us about was that Tim Drake print because he brought up the fact that, you know, I think I mentioned, I thought it was so cool. You designed, you know, the new Robin's costume and it, you know, it's our favorite Robin. I mean, it is one of our favorite Robin costumes and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, it, they keep going back to it. And he's like, yeah, he said that almost didn't happen because they didn't actually want to pay me what you know they said they were going to pay me this and then they said nah now nah, we're not going to because well we're kind of thinking about doing these other these other suits you know we've asked other he said they asked me to design robin's costume and then they offered it up to other artists and i'm like no you told me i was going to design robin's costume and you promised what you'd pay me and 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 they're like well you know well we've kind of solicited some other well then i'm not really interested and they're like oh no no wait 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 <laughs> <laughs> It was a really funny coming from him, but I thought it was like, yeah, don't, don't try to don't hire Neil Adams and then like undercut Neil Adams. I mean, you're lucky Neil Adams is drawing Batman again for you. I mean, the guy made the character in the seventies, the version of Batman that's is still today is mm-hmm. for Neil Adams, you know? So, Hey, the, the, um, the, the movie that just came out is, is, you know, a seventies version of Batman set in the current day with current day sort of technology and looks. I mean, it's, um, um, you know, right. Uh, yeah. exactly. And he's one, he, him and Jim Aparo and the rest are, I, I, I made it a point recently to look at the, you know, special thanks to, and they're right there. That's great. That's great. That's the, the dream of any creative person is to threaten to walk. And then have the person go, Oh wait, no, 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 no. Hold on. That's, <laughs> you know, only by, by the way, just, yeah. Go ahead. They knew he wasn't bluffing. Yeah, right. They knew he, wasn't <laughs> they knew, they knew he was going to walk. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, again, speaking of uh, sticking up for creators, like looking at his cover list again, it makes amazing. Well, I just noticed that he inked the cover to destroy your duck. Number one by Jack Kirby. I didn't know that. I never knew that he inked it. I assumed it was just all Kirby. And that was clear. Neil Adams didn't need to ink that cover. Jack Kirby could, could have handled it, to, handed it to anybody or inked it himself. But that's clearly like a sign of support for what Steve Gerber and Jack Kirby were doing, Mm. Uh, you know, by inking it, by, by just being able to say, Hey, here's a collaboration between Jack Kirby and Neil Adams, you know? So good, good on you, Neil. Um, Wow. Um, So one last thing I just want to get into before we, before we wrap up, because we've been talking kind of a long time is we put up uh, a question on our Patreon page, which is uh, of course, patreon.com slash FW podcast. And we asked people what, uh, you know, we did a little memorial to Neil and we asked people, you know, what were there? Some of their favorite Neil Adams stories. And we're not going to get into it here just because, again, the show's been going on for too long. I just want to name check everybody that was nice enough to, to list something. So we got Max Traver, Mike Dynas, Brett Young, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, Mark Baker Wright, Jay Campbell, Ian Fletcher, Jeffrey Owens, Jim Bow, Jason Keene, Captain Entropy, Martin Gray. And then I just want to uh, highlight Nicholas Prom, who mentioned his favorite Neil Adams work was a story from Vampirella. And that was a whole thing we never even talked about was all the great <laughs> stuff Neil Adams did for Warren. He did yes. amazing stuff for Warren, stuff that had nothing to do with science fiction or horror. He, did a, he drew a great story called Thrill Kill 
about a guy who's a random sniper in a city talking about how crazy things have gotten with, you know, lax gun laws in the seventies and Neil (laughs) drew it. I mean, so I wanted to, I, I, I wanted to fit a warrant in, but I couldn't. So I wanted to make sure at least I'm so glad Nicholas mentioned uh, this Van Perel story. He mentions called, um, it was called the soft, sweet lips of hell. But Neil did a lot of great work for Warren as well. That's a whole, you know, that's a whole other subject. Warren magazine stuff, great stuff. So um, that I, we should wrap it up here, guys. Again, we could talk about Neil Adams for another two hours, but we don't want the show to go on to like who's who length. So um, <laughs> I just want to thank David S. Gutierrez and Gord Tolton for their support of the Fine Water Podcast Network over on Patreon. We really appreciate it, and we want to thank everybody for listening and thank you guys, Chris, Tom, Paul for coming by and doing this with me to talk about uh, the great Neil Adams. It's a, it's a damn shame that he's gone, but what a legacy. I mean, what yeah. an amazing legacy. So thank you all for, for doing this. Thanks for having us, Rob. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's Thanks it. a lot, Rob. Really? Yes. Thank you. And we forgot to mention he created the scrubbing bubbles. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah. yeah. He created the scrubbing bubbles. Yeah. What? Neil Adams. He designed the scrubbing bubbles. Yes. I- literally have a can of that around the corner in my laundry room amazing holy (laughs) shit i didn't that is amazing i I, I can't all right we got to stop that (laughs) my mind can't even wrap its head around that 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 would have been something to bring to a convention to have him sign oh yeah oh my god I had never met him. I've never, I never met him at a convention. Had I ever thought to, I probably would have brought my Superman brush. I thought that would have been cool. I had him to hand it to him. Although he might have been like, I didn't get any money for this. You know, or whatever it was. <laughs> might, have, might have pissed him off. I don't know. It might not have been a good idea. So, well, anyway, thanks everybody for listening. Please leave a comment over on the website, findwaterpodcast.com, and let us know what some of your favorite Neil Adams work is. And uh, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show some in stock trades picks. You can, a lot of the Neil stuff has been collected, so you can go out and get it, get some of the original comics. Uh, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. And we can only say rest in peace to the great Neil Adams. Dow Bathroom Cleaner with scrubbing bubbles cleans bathroom soils right down to the shine. What power? What power? What just put the muscle on dirt and scum? Oh, we scrub it away fast. Oh, we do. We really do. We disinfect and deodorize, too. Okay, Charms, you're all washed up. <laughs> Look at the shine we leave behind. We work extra hard so you don't have to.